What's going on, Cornerstone? All right, last service of the day, but I got to ask the question. Did anybody come excited about Jesus this afternoon? Let's go. Hey, y'all. My name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here. So grateful, so thankful for each and every one of you. Also, a major shout out uh, to all of our first-time guests. Cornerstone, let's give it up for our first-time guests real quick. While it may be your first time, our prayers that it won't be your last time. Also, a major shout out to all of you uh, who are watching online. Y'all, we're coming near the end uh, of a series that we've been in for the past four weeks entitled Relationship Restart. And just in case this is your first weekend here in the middle of the series, let me just kind of bring you up to speed uh, on the conversations we've been having the last couple of weeks. Week number one, we started wrestling with this idea of what do you do and how do you best handle conflict. And we landed the plane and said, maybe, just maybe, instead of trying to put so much energy in trying to be right while we're in the midst of conflict, what if God's asking us to just simply be light? The following week, we said, hey, let's take the time now. If you and I are going to really strive towards reconciliation in some relationships where there's conflict, maybe the first step in reconciliation is just simply taking a look in the mirror, owning your own part. Peace begins with a look in the mirror. And then during week number three, which was last week, uh, we said, okay, we're going to go a little bit deeper on this idea of reconciliation. And here is the big idea. Aim for reconciliation, but if you miss, miss with no regrets. Which is to simply say, hey, I'm going to do all that I can to reconcile with the person. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. I just don't want to have regrets later on in life because I failed to try. Well, during the services last weekend, in between them, I had several conversations with some folks that were really great conversations, fruitful conversations, even grew me as a pastor in those conversations. And here's what those conversations went like. Hey, Pastor Brent, love the message. Let me ask you a question. Person A has done X, Y, and Z in my life, or person A has done X, Y, and Z in the life of a person that I really love. And here's my question for you. Based on what I just shared with you, is God really asking me to reconcile with him? And here was the response that I gave. I said, number one, I just want to take a moment and just emphatically say, I am so sorry that you or your loved one had that experience. And then I said, during the message, I spent about five minutes talking about this gentleman by the name of Peter, who was one of Jesus' best friends. And for those of you who know the story, I said, hey, Jesus, sorry, Peter had this moment where Jesus needed him. And on three different occasions, he denies him. But here's what I want you to pay attention to. Peter didn't deny Jesus because he was angry with Jesus. Peter didn't deny Jesus because he wanted to stab Jesus in the back. Peter denied Jesus because he was in fear for his own life. I said, what I didn't mention in the message is one of Jesus's other friends, a man by the name of Judas. When you look at Judas, Judas made his decision not because of fear. Judas made his decision with an intent to harm. He knew no if, no ands, no buts about it that based on him turning Jesus in, Jesus would lose his life. And he was unrepentant of it. 
And then here's what I told these individuals. I said, I believe that God gives you and I the option, whether it's a Peter in our life or a Judas in our life, to make a decision and a choice on whether or not we want to reconcile. But then here's what I said. However, whether it's a Peter in our life or a Judas in our life, I believe that God mandates that we forgive. Here's our big idea. Reconciliation is optional. Forgiveness is mandatory. Now, some of you are like, well, hold up, Pastor Brent. Thank you, by the way, for that amen. That made me feel real good. Hallelujah. Um, Some of you are saying, Pastor Brent, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't believe that reconciliation is optional. Hang with me for a little bit. I'm going to show you in Scripture where Jesus has a conversation with his disciples on forgiveness to aim towards reconciliation, but then he shows in the end of this conversation that it actually truly is an option. Just before we go there, would you join me in a word of prayer? Hey, Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, for your kindness, for all of the things that you are doing in this church called Cornerstone, your bride. Now, Holy Spirit, would you speak through me? Allow me to say what it is you want me to say and nothing more than that. And at the conclusion of this service, God, I pray that we would all leave here with hearts saying that we will forgive and that you would be glorified. Hide me behind the cross. Let them not see me. Let them only see you. Give me preaching power that only comes from you. And I'll be careful to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Everybody said amen. All right, y'all. So I want to take you back to when I was 18 years old. I was a freshman at Florida A&M University. At 18, I probably was a buck 50 soaking wet at best. And this 18-year-old, y'all, he had a big head. This 18-year-old who's a freshman in the college, y'all, he thought he was anointed. He thought he was anointed from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. And let me tell you why this 18-year-old version of Brent Hatchett thought he was so anointed. Just a month or two of being on campus, y'all, Brent Hatchett found himself having a girlfriend. Now check this out, though. He didn't just have any old girlfriend, y'all. His girlfriend wasn't a freshman. His girlfriend wasn't a sophomore. Y'all, my girlfriend, when I was 18 years old, she was a junior. Your boy was dating an upperclassman. Only the anointing can have, give you the grace to date an upperclassman. While all my other classmates had to catch the bus to get where they needed to go around the city, all I had to do was pull out my flip phone and call my girlfriend because she had a car. But one day, y'all, I discovered I was not as anointed as I thought I was. And the reason why I discovered why I was not as anointed as I thought I was is because I found out that my girlfriend had another boyfriend. Y'all, when I tell y'all I was upset, mad, embarrassed, all I could think about was how I was going to get revenge. At the time, it's like 2006, 2007, and this thing comes out called Facebook, which is pretty new to the world. It was back in the day where you actually had to be a college student to be on Facebook. And the status thing just had come out, and I decided to get even with this girlfriend of mine. Then I'm going to put her on blast by updating my status and let everybody in the world see all my business out on Facebook. Y'all, the comment section was juicy. But it didn't end there. I had to deal with this other boyfriend that she had because this other boyfriend she had was not only a classmate of mine. Y'all, we went to the same church. 
So here it is. I'm sitting in broadcast colloquium with Professor Richie, 1215 class. I'm in the top row. All of a sudden, I see this other boyfriend walk into the class. I look down at my desk, and I notice that I have a number two pencil that is sharpened. And the thoughts that roll through my mind were not of God. I recognize in this moment that I need some serious time in prayer, so I go back to my dorm room, and I start reading my Bible, and there it was. It was the scripture that showed me how to deal with revenge. It's found in Romans chapter 12. I want you to see it really quickly. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse number 19, here's what Paul writes. He says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Verse 20, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Verse 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Y'all, when I'm in my dorm room, I am rejoicing over this passage, but I'm not rejoicing over this passage because it talks about showing them kindness and mercy. I'm rejoicing over this passage because it says that God is going to cause burning coals to fall down from heaven, and I cannot wait to see them burn up. But the truth of the matter is, is that's not the heart of the passage. While I love Jesus with all my heart, mind, and soul, boy, did I have bad interpretation of Scripture. See, here's what Paul is trying to say in this passage. Here's what Paul, was, Holy Spirit, was trying to teach me in this moment, which is simply this. Hey, Brent, instead of you trying to administer justice in their life, what would it look like if you administered mercy? See, the truth of the matter is, is the same mercy I have shown you I'd love it if you would show that same mercy to them. And then Paul says in verse number 21, he says, you don't conquer evil by doing more evil. You conquer evil by doing good. Well, Holy Spirit, what's the good that you want me to do? I'm hurt. I'm mad. I'm upset. And here's the good I want you to do. I want you to forgive. Matthew chapter 18, y'all, Jesus gives what I call a master class on forgiveness. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there with me real quick. Again, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And what Jesus is about to do is he's about to walk them through the process of forgiving a person. And it's here where you're going to see where reconciliation becomes an option, but forgiveness is mandatory. Watch this. Verse number 15, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Verse 17, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. 
Now, in the context of this passage, here's what you need to know. Jesus, as he's giving this master class on forgiveness, y'all, is giving them information, advising them on how you forgive when you find yourself in conflict with another believer. But I would argue that this passage is not just applicable to when you and I have conflict with another believer. I would argue that this passage is applicable to all relationships in our life and how we get to this place of actually reconciling. And here's what Jesus says. He says, your first step in forgiveness is number one, go to them privately. It's not Brent, go on Facebook and update your status and let the whole world know what they did wrong. It's not fantasize about how you can get revenge and how you can get even, but he says, have a conversation with them. Go go one-on-one and try to work through the differences. But then Jesus says, hey, if that doesn't work, here's your second step. Your second step is to go and get two or three witnesses, people who are wiser, people who are non-biased, and have them listen to the conversation and the conflict. And hopefully these two or three witnesses will help you all navigate your differences. Then he says, if that doesn't work, here's the third step. Third step is now get the church involved. Bring in a pastor, bring in an elder, bring in a servant leader, whoever it may be. And now see if they can help you navigate the differences that you all have. And then as a final step, here's what he says. If none of those things work, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Brent Hatchett translation. Treat them like the IRS. IRS don't call you. You won't call them. They need to get in contact. Send a letter in the mail. And it's here in this passage that you and I can see where Jesus himself gives you and I the green light to where reconciliation is optional. It ties back into what we talked about last week, aim for reconciliation, but if you miss, miss with no regrets. However, Jesus then is about to explain how even though reconciliation is optional, he's about to let the disciples know how forgiveness is mandatory. Peter asked an amazing question in verse number 21, and I want you to see what Peter asked. Peter says, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Verse 22, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Here's what Jesus is trying to teach Peter and the other disciples in this moment. He's basically saying, y'all, reconciliation is optional, but when it comes to forgiving someone, You can't put a limit on it. And the reason why you can't put a limit on forgiveness is because God hasn't put a limit on you for how he forgives you. Forgiveness is limitless. He's trying to teach him in this moment that while you may never become a master at reconciliation, you absolutely need to become a master at forgiveness. Some of you are saying, hold up, Pastor Brent, forgiveness is hard. And I would say you're absolutely right. So here's what we need to do. We need to lay out a foundation and give some definition to what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. So let's start by dealing with what forgiveness is not. I got five things for you. Number one, forgiveness is not 
forgetting. Say it again. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Truth of the matter is there's people watching online and people in this room who you have experienced all kind of trauma and drama. And because of that, you will never forget. Just to segue for a second, as an 18-year-old freshman in college, I never will forget when my girlfriend didn't answer the phone and I had to go walk somewhere with my own two feet. I had my headphones in my ear, and I thought I looked both ways when I crossed the street, and I stepped out into the road, and the next thing you know, all I saw was headlights, my body flipped up in the air, I hit the hood of this car, and fell on the ground. Y'all, I will never forget being hit by a motor vehicle that was moving. It's impossible, but here's what you need to know. While I'll never forget that moment, I've also discovered that while forgiveness, sorry, while forgetting is impossible, forgiveness is more than possible. Here's the second thing forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not reconciling. Just in case you missed it, forgiveness is not reconciling. What does that mean? I can absolutely forgive you. And I don't have to remain in a relationship with you. I can forgive you and not stay in an environment to where I'm consistently hurt, disrespected, or I don't feel safe. Forgiveness is not reconciling. Here's number three. Number three is this. Forgiveness is not condoning. What does that mean? If someone offends you, you don't have to sit around and continue to be offended. As a matter of fact, to counter that, since forgiveness is not condoning, what I do is, is I address it. Just like what Jesus talked about in that passage. Forgiveness is not condoning. The process, the beginning to forgiveness is, let me go ahead and address it. Hey, you and I need to have a conversation. All right, we tried it with you and I. All right, hey, let me go get two or three witnesses. Let me get the church involved. Because forgiveness... It's not condoning. What's the fourth one? Number four, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. Here's what happens so often. You and I want to feel good to forgive. But if you wait to feel good to forgive, you ain't never going to forgive. I was reading an article this week, and in the article, here's what I read. The article said, you don't heal in order to forgive. You forgive in order to heal. Say it again. You don't heal in order to forgive. You forgive in order to heal. And here's the last one of what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. Forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. I truly believe that the measurement of spiritual growth, part of it has to do with you and I's ability to forgive a person. For those of us who are stuck in unforgiveness, it's a good sign that there is still some spiritual maturity that needs to take place in our lives. A preacher said this one time, and I thought it was powerful. He said, here's what it is. When you and I refuse to forgive, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. 
So now that we've taken the time and established what forgiveness is not, let's look at what forgiveness is. Number one, forgiveness is erasing the debt. What does that mean? You've offended me. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You owe me some form of compensation. But when I forgive you, I erase that debt that you owe me. Let me help some marriages out. One of the reasons why my wife and I are still married is because she has become a master of forgiveness. Y'all, for 11 years, my wife has made the same request year after year. Honey, when you come in the house, could you please take your shoes off? And y'all, I'll do it for like a week or two, but by week number three, I'll just be all up in the house, just walking around, shucking and jiving. And here's what my wife does. She erases the debt every time. Instead of her getting mad at me, here's what she'll do. She'll go get a broom and she'll clean up the mess that I made. She erases the debt. Here's the second thing that forgiveness is. Forgiveness, and this is really important, is resisting the urge to bring up the past. If you want to be successful in relationships, I don't care if it's a marriage, I don't care if it's a friendship, I don't care if it's with coworkers. When you say, hey, I forgive you, you can no longer bring up the negative thing you've forgiven them for. And I believe it's biblical, because watch this. When Jesus forgave you and me, tell me the last time that Jesus threw in your face the sin you committed three years ago. When's the last time he threw in your face the sin you committed two weeks ago? He doesn't do it, because love doesn't keep a record of wrong. I don't remind you of how you did me wrong because the debt's been erased. I've forgiven you. Here's the third thing. Forgiveness, and I talked about this, is administering God's mercy, not God's justice. Let me expound. Bible teaches you and I to pray for our enemies. What would it look like if the person that hurt you, the person that abused you, the person that did you wrong, and again, I empathize with you, but how powerful and amazing would it be on your part if you actually prayed for the person that's offended you? How powerful and impactful would it be if you prayed that God would give them mercy the same way God gave you? How powerful and impactful would it be if you prayed that God would recon reconcile himself to them the same way he reconciled himself to you? Here's the last thing. Forgiveness is hard. Unforgiveness is harder. When you and I refuse to forgive, it's like we carry around an unnecessary weight. Scripture teaches us that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. How do I lose my freedom? I lose my freedom when I walk in unforgiveness. I got one more. I almost forgot to mention it. Here's the last one. Forgiveness is a process, not a moment. Say it again. Forgiveness is a process, not a moment. What would it look like if you made the decision in the process of forgiveness that you trusted God on the journey. 
God, I don't, under, I don't understand why what happened to me happened to me. I don't understand why I've had to live out this experience. But as a follower of you, not only do I want to forgive, Holy Spirit, would you help me through it? And even though I don't get it, I make a declaration now that I trust you. As Jesus gets ready to end this master class on forgiveness, he tells the disciples a story. And this is an amazing story. It's found here in Matthew 18, beginning at verse number 23. Here's how the story goes. Verse number 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Y'all, this man was lying. Ain't no way he was about to pay all that money. <laughs> then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. So here it is. Jesus is giving this master class on forgiveness. His disciples are tuned in. They're learning that if, I, if I'm really going to be a master at forgiveness, I've got to remove the limits on the amount of time I forgive. And now all of a sudden he tells the story about a servant who owns this master millions of dollars. And as I'm reading the passage, one of the things that I come to recognize, the reason why Jesus is telling the story is because he wants his disciples to realize that the servant isn't an imaginary person. The servant is them. Matter of fact, let's be honest, the servant is you and I. And the master is God, our Father. And while you and I may not owe God, our Father, millions and millions in dollars, we've got millions and millions in debt because of our sin. I'm sure there are some people in this room who you own a MasterCard, just like me, I own a MasterCard. But here's what I need you to know. This servant, he didn't just have a MasterCard, he had the Master's card. And he abused the Master's card. You see, he abused the Master's card by racking it up with charges such as adultery and fornication and lying and jealousy and gossip, and self-righteousness, and gluttony, and pride. And he kept charging, 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 kind of like you and I. And one day the master says, hey, it's time to settle your accounts. And the man realizes that there is no way in the world he'll ever be able to settle his accounts. And here's what the master does. He gives him mercy. But I need you to know that the mercy wasn't priceless. The mercy wasn't cheap. The mercy was that the master had to give his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And the only way the mercy came is if Jesus shed his blood. The master didn't just hit a button and all of a sudden the debt was erased. The master made a sacrifice on his behalf. 
Now, you would think that this servant, now that he's free from the debt, would go on and serve Jesus with all his heart, mind, and soul. But look at what the servant does next. Verse number uh, 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Y'all, this servant just experienced the greatest thing ever, which is your debt being paid. It's almost like looking at your bank account, looking at your credit score, and your credit score all of a sudden says bankruptcy, and overnight, it's just been removed. You would think he would celebrate, he'd rejoice, but here's what he does. He goes and he finds a man who doesn't owe him millions of dollars. He just owes him thousands of dollars, far less than what he owed to the master. He doesn't erase the man's debt. He holds the man's debt over his head. And look at what Jesus says happens to that man because he refused to forgive, because he wanted to administer justice and not administer mercy. The text goes on and say this, verse 31. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry, angry king sent the man to prison and be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Because the man refused to give, he forfeited his freedom an inherited prison. It's the same thing that happens to you and I when we refuse to forgive. So, Pastor Britt, that's a pretty decent message. What are you asking me to do? Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to fulfill the will of the Father. And here's the will of the Father. The will of the Father is for you and I to forgive. There's a moment in Scripture where the spotlight is on Jesus. Jesus had performed miracles, performed signs, performed wonders, did all those things. But God puts the spotlight on him in a special moment. And in that moment, it wasn't when he was performing the signs, the wonders, and the miracles. It was this moment where Jesus was hanging on the cross at Calvary. And out in the crowd, there's the people who have abused him. There are the people who have beat him. There are the people who have whipped him. There are the people who put the crown of thorns on his head. And Jesus, in so much pain, enduring so much hurt, he could have easily called down Gabriel. He could have called down Michael from heaven. And he could have had them administer justice to the whole crowd. But when the spotlight's on him, he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. Jesus gives you and I a model with his dying breath of what forgiveness looks like. It's a decision you make when you're hurt. It's a decision you make when you're in pain. It's a decision you make when they've abused you and they've mistreated you and they've talked about you. It's a decision you make when they have nails in your hands and in your feet. You look to the Father and you say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is my challenge to you. In a moment, we're going to take communion. But before we do, I want you and Jesus to have a conversation. And in this conversation, I want you to do what Jesus did. I want you to pray for the person that's hurt you. I want you to model after what Jesus did and I want you to pray that the Father would have mercy on them, that the Father would forgive them. And I want you to pray that the Father would help you to forgive them. Reconciliation is optional. But forgiveness is mandatory. All the things that I have held dear, the vanities that whispered in my ear, what would I do if they all disappeared? Riches and fame and all that they they never satisfied What would I gain if my soul's the prize? I don't want to love what the world loves I don't want to chase what the world does I only want you I only want you First things first, I seek your Keep the first thing.
As we get ready to take communion, I'd actually ask that we all stand real quick. One day the disciples asked Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And here's what Jesus taught them. He said, pray like this. He says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He then says, hey, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says this. He said, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Because we've been forgiven, we should forgive. And here's the beautiful part about forgiveness. Forgiveness happens only because of Jesus' blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. There's this old hymn that the church used to sing that says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Just before we take communion together, I've asked Will to sing just a little bit of that, and I want us together to just worship and reflect on the fact that we've been forgiven because of his blood. The night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took his disciples to the upper room and he broke the bread. And he said, This bread represents my body that will be broken for you. Let us eat the bread together. And in the same manner, he took the cup. And he said, this cup represents my blood that will be shed for the remission of your sins. It's a cup that represents mercy. Let's drink the blood together. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. If you're here today, and you say, man, I, I'm, I'm still struggling and I want someone to pray with me about forgiveness. Uh, I want to invite you down front. We've got an entire prayer team that's ready to pray with you. If you're watching online, you can simply text the word prayer. 
to 21999. With that being said, hey, thanks so much for hanging out with this weekend, and we can't wait to see you again next weekend. Take care, guys. Wow, I believe God is doing some powerful things through this series on relationships that we've been walking through together. If you have a story that you would love to share with us or how this series has impacted you, we'd love to hear that. If you need prayer this morning, feel free to text prayer to 21999 and someone will reach out and pray with you. Thank you again for spending your weekend with us. We love that you're here. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week and we'll see you next time.